Some years ago, we had the privilege of being on ground level, ground zero of a new assembly. It was a authentic hive off, <laughs> and uh, we appreciated the encouragement and prayers and support of the larger assemblies. Well, it was just a small group. There were nine adults and seven children that started, and we started with um, uh, a storefront on the main street of Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario. Now, <clears throat> it was one room. It had one door. And so you walked in, you were in the meeting. It was just a square room. We set up some chairs there. Now, <clears throat> in, in the winter in Sault Ste. Marie, the weather gets rather chilly. And it will last from somewhere around the end of October, 1st of November. It starts getting really chilly, and it'll go till about 1st of May, something like that. And so <clears throat> in, the, in the coldest part of the year, when it's very warm in that room and we're in there, and someone opens the door, you get that uh, vapor effect sometimes. Um, and a rush of cold air comes in and everybody goes, close the door, close the door, you know. And so <clears throat> no foyer, no anything. Open the door, you're in the middle of the meeting, just like that. So we're breaking bread. And if I said to you, if, uh, do you understand what I'm saying when I call a person a street person? This is a person who perhaps doesn't have much of an apartment or a home or any residence. They kind of live on the street. Well, it's amazing that people still do that in cold weather. And this one particular fellow we got to know because when it's cold outside and the door wasn't locked and he wanted to get warm, he'd come in. Now, his name was Garfield. We got to know Garfield. Garfield was a little slow mentally and uh, so Garfield would often frequent our meeting he'd open the door just, uh, you know he's bundled up like Eric the Eskimo and he comes in and all the coal comes in with him well Garfield wasn't the most he wasn't the cleanest person that you've ever met and there was a little bit of an odor that went along with his presence and so he would come in and sit beside someone. We're breaking bread, okay? And he'd come in and sit beside someone, and the tendency was <laughs> kind of like this, you know? So <clears throat> we figured out that uh, uh, we needed to tell everybody we got to be real kind to Garfield. He doesn't understand a lot of this stuff. And so he came so frequently, we set a chair by the door for Garfield. Now, on this one particular morning, Garfield came in, he got warm, he went out. He got cold, he came in. He got warm, he went out. The third time he went out, I went out with him. <laughs> and they're standing outside on the main street there, outside the little meeting, and I said, Garfield, I said, do you know what we're doing in there? Yeah, 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 I know what you're doing. I said, you don't have a clue what we're doing in there, Garfield. I said, we're trying to remember the Lord Jesus. And I said, you come in and out and in and out, and all we can remember is Garfield, I said, you know. I said, now you are welcome to come, but please stay if you come, you know. 
Well, that was Garfield. He was known by everybody on that main street. One morning, the man that owned that little storefront um, found the police at his door. said, have you seen Garfield? Well, Garfield was always getting in trouble of some kind. And he said, oh, yeah, he said he was here earlier. He messed up my door again. Garfield wouldn't bother trying to find a private place. And uh, he said, why? He said, has he broke into some place or done something wrong? They said, no, we found him in the snowbank behind your building dead this morning. That was Monday morning, frozen in a snowbank, alone, nobody with him. I said to myself, there's something wrong about that. Something wrong about people dying alone. To my memory, Garfield came in that Sunday, stayed for the breaking of bread, and for what we call our teaching or family Bible hour session. I think it's the only time he ever stayed for everything. But there's something wrong about dying alone. Well, this morning we're going to take up the third cry from the cross. And let me assure you, the Lord Jesus did not die unlamented alone. There were people there. If you have your Bible, let's turn to John 19. John 19. Let me begin reading in verse number 25. John 19 and verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. We've now worked our way to the third cry from the cross. The first, a prayer. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. The second, the answer to one of the sinners or to one of the criminals' appeal, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now the third. The third to his mother and to the disciple that he loved. 
There are three parts I want to try to bring out about this saying this morning. There's the part to his mother. There's the part to the disciple that he loved. And then consequently, there is a part for himself. First of all, to his mother. Get the scene. He is unrecognizable. One of the disciples could have said to the other, which one is Jesus? Marred more than any man. Now, you know, I, I never really got that for years in my life. I mean, others have been torn by wild beasts, burned in fire. I mean, why was he marred more than any man? Because there never was a man so pure as him. That's why. And, and, and so now the scene is, he is there hanging on the cross, He's already uttered the statement, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's already answered the appeal to the one criminal who now is repenting and acknowledging who he is and asking to be remembered. And he has been remembered even that day, the promise you'll be with me. But the scene is this. The women are there. The disciples are there. Uh, the soldiers are there. The frenzied crowd is there. The atmosphere is uncomfortable. But Mary has heard it all. What would you think if you were the mother of the Lord and you heard him just say to a convicted criminal who's dying because of his crime, today you're going to be with me in paradise, and now he addresses his mother. What would you expect him to say to her? What place would he give her in this new kingdom? What emphasis, what privilege, what special honors and position would she gain from him? There are different theories, there are different meditations, there are different philosophies, there are different teachings about Mary. Some suggest that she's the minister of God's goodness. That she is the mediator between Jesus and you. You go, if you want to get Jesus to do something, ask his mother. She'll get it for you. Some call her the queen of heaven. There is no indication of any of that in Scripture, folks. And, and in no way do I want to minimize the blessed chosen vessel that she was blessed among women. Give her credit. But none of these. And so his part to her. Woman, behold thy son. It is interesting, he never calls her mother. Even though legitimately she was. She was that vessel. Woman. Behold your son. Now, get the picture. He's on the cross. He's addressing his mother who is standing by. And he says to her, uh, Woman, behold your son. Not referring to himself. He's not saying, Mar Mary, look at me. Mother, look at me. I'm your son. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, woman, behold your son. And he is referring her to John. John's going to be your son now. 
I'm, I'm not going to be your son anymore. Not in the flesh, not in the family. Uh, th this is not going to work. I have a, a higher calling. I have a different uh, calling. I, I must do the will of my Father. <clears throat> if you were standing by the bedside of your dying son, and in his last uh, efforts or or in his last words to you, as, as he looked up to you and, and, and you looked down on that deathbed knowing that he is dying, and he said to you, woman, you would say something is wrong. He is hallucinating. It's the drugs. He doesn't know who I am. Uh, this is not right. You, you, you would hope that he would look at you and say, Mom, thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks for coming. Thanks for being the best mom anybody could ever have. I love you so much. That would be the appropriate. That would be what you would hope for. Imagine your son saying, woman, as though he did not recognize you or did not somehow honor that mother-son relationship. Let me suggest for you that's exactly what Jesus is driving home. It's not going to be like this anymore i'm not going to be in the family anymore as your son he is denying her now if i could gracefully say it and graciously say it he is denying her any special privileges because she is his mother she now is going to find herself on equal plane with all who follow him <clears throat> Some have suggested this will be the sharpest thrust of the sword in her heart. Matter of fact, I've never seen it, but some have suggested that there's a painting, and, and in the painting, the scene is the crucifixion, and uh, Mary is brokenhearted. Uh, she is crushed. She is leaving the scene, and... Uh, as she's leaving the scene, she has the crown of thorns in her, in her hand. That's artistic liberty. There's nothing in scriptures that suggests that. But that's a mother's heart. What could she possibly do to alleviate any of the pain? And so in this scene, this painting, she is leaving Calvary, and there she has the crown of thorns. But the artist depicts now the crown of thorns is per piercing her own heart. This is the worst possible scene for her. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't realize it. But her natural union with him in the family is going to be nothing compared with the spiritual union that she is having with him. That it's going to be, she will find that salvation relationship, please listen to me, is higher than family relationship. Some of you know that. Some of you have trusted Christ and you've gone home. You've been rejected by your family. She will, like many of the sayings, if not all of the sayings, their full realization of these sayings won't come to fruition until after the resurrection. 
she will find that it's better to have him as a savior than it was to have him in the family as a son. She will understand that he makes better provision for her as a savior than he ever could as a son. But it won't happen until later. Mary may have lost a son, if I could put it that way, that day, but she certainly will find a savior. Now the part to the disciple. We're not left uh, in the dark as to who he was. The scriptures will verify that the disciple was John. He's often referred to in Scripture, uh, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 13 and 20 and 21. We know this. We won't take time to verify it. But John, the beloved, was the disciple that Jesus loved. That was a designation for him, sort of unique and different from the others. Not that he didn't love the other disciple, but it was John was a disciple that's designated as the one that he loved. Now look, uh, she's there. The Lord Jesus says, Woman, behold thy son. And he refers now to John. I'm not going to be your son any longer in the family, but John is going to be your son. Now he says to John, Behold thy mother. As it were, saying, John... Um, I can't stay at home. I can't fulfill the duties of a son to the mother, but I want you to take care of mother for me. She's going to be your mother. You're going to be her son. We, we might well ask ourselves the question, where is Joseph? Scriptures are silent, as far as I know. Tradition has him dead 12 years by now. Well, what about Jesus' half-brothers? He had four mentioned in scriptures and sisters unnamed. What about the brothers? What? They're not believers yet. They haven't accepted that Jesus is really who he says he is. That will not happen until after the resurrection. And so, John, this is your mother. His responsibility, if I could put it this way, <clears throat> was to substitute for the Lord Jesus. Think of that for a moment. Substituting for the substitute. Fulfill my responsibility. You know, the Scriptures are clear that when Jesus Christ was on earth, uh, uh, Colossians says he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You could see him. He was in flesh, and he represented God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But in his absence, and he did ascend and go back into heaven, in his absence we read in Ephesians that we, that is the church, that you, that is a follower of Christ, that we are now the fullness of him. When he was on earth, he represented the Godhead. When he ascended, we represent him. Could I ask you the obvious question? How are you doing with that? When people see you, do they think of Jesus? We know that's God's plan. Mike told us it's in the Scriptures. 
If you read your Bible a hundred times or two hundred times in your lifetime, that's wonderful. God bless you and encourage you. If you win a hundred souls or two hundred to five hundred to Christ, it's wonderful. But your goal in life is to be like Jesus. That's your goal. That's God's goal for you and for me. So, John, take my place, fulfill my duties, be my hands, be my mouth, uh, protect my mother, take care of her. I'm fulfilling the Father's will. I can't go back home anymore. Annie Johnson Flint wrote it like this. I love it. Christ has no hands but our hands to do His work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in the way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. The church is to represent Jesus Christ. You are witnesses if you know him. The story is told of uh, a friend of Martin Luther, the great reformer. His name was Myconius. Myconius learned that Martin was leaving the monastery and going into the world to preach the gospel. He said to him, Martin, I will pray for you every day while you are out. And he did. Every day he prayed. And the story goes on like this. One day Myconius had a dream. In the dream he saw a vast field, plain, thousands of sheep one shepherd. As he looked closer in the dream, he recognized the shepherd. It was Luther. Hmm. In another part of the dream, he saw a, a vast uh, a field of grain ready to be harvested. He saw one laborer working. It was Martin. That day, Myconius left the monastery himself. He went into the field and into the plains, and he said, Lord, here am I, send me. And he went to join Luther. To do what? Well, substitute for the substitutes. That's what. To represent Christ. That's our calling. And so he commissions John, John, you take care of my mother. And we know from the Scriptures that from that very hour, John took her to his own house. She spared the agonies at the end. She has spared the, the tragedy of it all. She is gone. But not only did he address his mother, not only did he address uh, John the disciple and, and commission him now to do the work, but in, in addressing his mother and in addressing the disciple, there is something that is happening to him, and it's got to happen to him. This is now the part to himself. In the way that he is dealing with Mary and with John, he is obligating himself. Self-denial, 
Every breath from the time that he spoke the first recording of the Lord Jesus at when he's 12 years old, he said, I must be about my father's business. And the last recording of the cries on the cross is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Between that, you've got one perfect life with one perfect goal, to do the will of God. He is obligating himself to do the will of God. Never forget Mary or John or the thief or the crowd. They're not the central figure at Calvary. It's the Lord Jesus. And if nothing more, we know that he is fulfilling the law by the keeping of the fifth commandment that he might honor his mother. And so he designates John to take care of her. However, in doing so, he must go all the way to death. You see, the third cry from the cross is an act of self-denial. Now, <clears throat> sometimes you and I decide we're going to do something for God. Say, well, God, I, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to be a great influence, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give up this, and I'm going to stop doing that. And I, Who's in control? Self is determining what I'm going to do for God. But when we deny self, that is absolute surrender, folks. The story was told of a young man who wanted to serve God, and he went to a little chapel one night. He sat alone. He took out a sheet of paper, and he wrote every asset that he had, from his money to his time to his energy to his commitment. He signed the bottom, and he said, God, I surrender all. He thought about it for a minute and thought, no, I've missed something here. I forgot. And he went and he, and he added another line or two, and he said, I surrender all. Then he thought of something else, and then it hit him. He took that piece of paper and he wadded it up, and he threw it away. And he took a blank sheet of paper and he signed the bottom. <laughs> he said, I'm not even capable of filling it in. God, you fill it in. That's denying self. I have no rights. Jesus now denies himself. By this one word to his mother and to the disciple, he cuts himself off in that family relationship. He forsakes every earthly benefit that he had. He, 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 he cuts every tie with the family. He, he can't go home. He can't just be a son. He can't just work in Joseph's carpenter shop. He can't just be a good testimony. He's got to go all the way to death. He removes every obstacle. When he asks you to forsake all and follow him, he's already given you the example. He gave it all up for who? <laughs> for you and for me. He, he breaks the bond of that sacred relationship. Put, put, put this in real life. Jesus nursed on Mary's breast. 
he held her hand. She saw him take the first step. He's standing at Joseph's carpenter shop and he hears her voice calling for supper. I mean, this is an intimate relationship with her as a boy, as a man. He can't stay home. He can't just live a good life. He can't just do the family thing. And so he says, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, behold your mother. It is not Mary who's the sufferer here. It's the Lord Jesus. He's called the man of sorrows. Listen, he has a capacity to sorrow that you and I know nothing about. He's got a capacity to suffer like you and I know nothing about. Let's suppose a father stands at a graveside with two little children. They don't get it, but the mother's in the grave. Daddy, why are you crying? Little do they know mom won't come home that night. She won't kiss them goodnight. She won't read the stories to them. She's gone. But they're too small. They don't get it. They don't have the capacity. Folks, that's how we are. We know nothing about suffering. We know nothing about sorrow. He's the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Every step he took, he looked into the hearts of individuals and he knew their troubles and their woes and their sorrows and their distresses. And he carried them all. His heart was broken more than Mary's that day. Fox's Book of Martyrs is an interesting book. I don't suggest you read it late at night before you go to bed. But I will refer to one story now from that book. A young widow, 26 years of age, a small child at her breast was to be thrown to the wild beast at Carthage just for being a Christian. Her aged father implored her on his knees that for his sake she would make some offering to the Roman gods. He was so frantic in his appeal that he tried to remove her from the cell that she was in, and doing so, he received a staggering blow from one of the guards. He dropped to his knees. To her, that blow was worse than martyrdom, but that was not the worst. Soon her baby was taken from her and her arms about her father for the last time, leaving the baby helpless, and the father comfortless. Her heart was broken before the wild beast tore her body into shreds. To be true to the Savior, she had to sacrifice the happiness of her father and the welfare of her child. What do we know about that? Nothing. We know nothing. The judgment seat of Christ has been referred to. Let's suppose for a moment we're there. We're all there. And the Lord's interviewing us. You, you have a personal interview with your master. And we're waiting. 
And as we're waiting for our names to be called, I don't know how it's going to happen, but he will call us. We will have that interview with him. Let's suppose we're talking. And let's suppose I'm standing in line and behind me is this widow. And she says to me, What did it cost you to serve the master? I don't know. We're worried about whether we can get a new carpet in the den or a bigger screen TV or a new car or longer vacation. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know. Two applications and I'll be through. The first is this. There is no hope for anyone except in the finished work of Christ on the cross. I'll prove it to you. Who's here? Mary, blessed among women. The, the chosen, young, innocent virgin as the instrument in the hands of God to bring the incarnate Son of God into the world. She's there. Blessed as she is, honored as she is, loved as she is, she finds her hope only in the finished work of Calvary. Now watch the scene. There is a worthless, guilty thief on a cross. And he is promised paradise because he's trusted the Savior. And that guilty, worthless thief finds himself equal to Mary and privileges and grace. Mary and the thief, get it! The two opposite ends of the spectrum, the good and the bad. But they both had to come to Calvary. I want you to imagine that scene, and I'm going to ask you, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a guilty, vile criminal that deserves hell? Or do you see yourself as a, a good, honorable, upstanding citizen and person? Then either stand with Mary or stand with the thief, but get to Calvary, okay? Get to Calvary. you got to get there. They both needed a Savior. There's no hope except in the finished work of Christ. Second application, there is no greater privilege on earth than to obey Jesus Christ. There's no greater, there's no greater privilege on earth than to substitute for the substitute. This is your calling. This is your mission. By yielding to God's plan, there's always a cost, folks. It costs Jesus everything. Why should we go free? Remember what he gave for us. Poor, wretched, vile sinners. He gave it all. Everything. May we take sides with Mary, and may we take sides with the thief, 
And may we go forth from here representing the best of masters. You know about broken relationships. Some of you have been victims, I know. It's hard. He took it all that day and put it into perspective to do the will of God. May God help you as we go forth from this place today, representing Him, substituting for the substitute. And if you don't know Him, stand with Mary or stand with the thief, but come to the place called Calvary today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your Son in all things have left us an example to follow. It's hard when family's involved. There's some women who can't serve the Lord because they've married the wrong man. There's some men who can't serve the Lord because they've married the wrong woman. There's some children who can't serve the Lord because of their parents. And there's some parents who won't serve the Lord because of their children. Father, these things are too high for us. We do not understand them. We don't have all of the answers, but we know that if any man would be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, he must forsake himself. It's probably the hardest of them all. Our own will, our own desire, our own ambitions, our own goals, to realize we've been bought with a price and we're not our own, and we're to glorify God in our bodies and our spirits, which are God's. We pray you might drive that truth home to us new and fresh today. And as we look at the Lord Jesus and the example that He gave, it might encourage us to follow in his steps for his own name's sake. Amen.